Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. All right, so please help me welcome Ms. Jasmine Brown, who is a current third year, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about being underrepresented and underserved in medicine, which is a topic very near and dear to my heart and was part of my mission as I worked in admissions as well. She's a current third year at Perelman School of Medicine at University of Pennsylvania and an advocate for supporting minority students on their path to health and science. And so she also has an upcoming book called Twice as Hard, and we're excited to hear from her. So thanks for joining us. Yay, yay. Hello, Jasmine. Hi. How are you? Hi. I'm good. How are you all? I'm wonderful. Doing well. Um, so, Jasmine. Mm-hmm. Med student isn't uh, med student. Med school isn't hard enough. Let's write a book while we're doing it. <laughs> what the heck? Come on. Why yeah. why did you write a book twice as hard to to go back and and look at the history of of black women physicians in this in this country? Well, Definitely doing both at the same time <laughs> <laughs> presents with its own challenges. But it started off when I was in grad school. So I got the Rhodes Scholarship and I was able to complete a master's in history of medicine at Oxford. And wow. I was studying the barriers put in place to prevent Black women from entering medicine into the U.S. During that process, I learned about a lot of Black women physicians that I had never heard of who had done incredible things. And I thought it was really important to share those stories with other people. Before that project, despite being pre-med, going through undergrad, being in the process of applying to med school, I had never met a Black woman physician. So I felt like sharing these stories could be really important for other people who came from a similar position. Of course. Yeah, it went into med school, the writing process, but it was a fun process. I think it was nice looking at the history while I was in the present through that journey. Yeah, that that's amazing. So talk about uh, th- these barriers that you learned about that mm-hmm. it sounds like the, the specific language you use, and I'm sure you used it on purpose, was the barriers that were put in place um, mm-hmm. to, to prevent or that prevented Black women from, from entering medicine. What barriers were there? Why were they put in place? 
And then I'm going to ask a follow-up question after, like, what's what barriers are still there? So mm. what, what did you learn going through this process? Yeah, so when, in terms of why were they put in place, medicine is just one part of society, and society, racism and sexism is ingrained within our society, unfortunately. So medicine, a very sought-after field with pretty high income on a national scale. I think just like many other fields with similar metrics of high, high earning professions, trying to keep people of color and women out of those spaces. In terms of how they were prevented from entering, especially early on. So The first Black woman physician was Dr. Rebecca Crumpler. She started medical school in 1860 before the Civil War even started. And during that time, the things that we're discussing now, how do you get into medical school? Well, Black women and Black people and women in the, say, 1840s, 1850s are just explicitly told we will not let you in because you're Black or because you're a woman. Mm -hmm. Some of the early women were told to dress as men and that maybe then they will be allowed to attend the classes, but they couldn't get a degree. And yeah, so the, the things that we're talking about now and how to progress through the journey, those steps were what we're not allowed to do. So in the late 1800s, they're just explicitly told like, we won't let you into medical school. Then in the 1900s, early 1900s, well, maybe we'll let you into medical school, but we won't let you do a residency which is really important. (laughs) What's the point? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, like a well-trained doctor. And then now it's more, we we can let you do residency. And there still are limitations to the amount of people that are allowed to within the space. The number of Black physicians today are approximately the same as the number of Black physicians in 1910. yeah, five five percent is the number that that I most recently saw. Is that about what what you see? In terms of practice, maybe in terms of trainees, but for practicing practicing physicians, my understanding is it's closer to two and a half to three percent. Okay. Um. Yeah, but for the ones that are allowed to go to medical school, go to residency, now it's whoa. Maybe we'll hire you for a faculty position, but there's far there's many there's few that are at the level of professor, few that are at the level of dean. So promotion once you enter that workforce is yeah. a big hindrance now. What was the other question you had? Uh, uh, what are the the barriers in in place still potentially yeah. that that are okay. preventing right? Because because looking at those numbers, they haven't changed much, especially for for black men, uh, mm-hmm. which, which I know your books, actually, books about the women. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually talk about that in the book. So okay. the way that it was in the 1800s and first half of the 20th century, the 1900s, there were many more black men. So one statistic that I can think of now in 1900, there were 160 black women physicians 88,000 white men, white male physicians, 3,500 white female physicians, and 1,800 black male physicians. So there were 10 times as many black men as there were black women in the field because of 
the combination of racism and sexism. It was around the 1960s when it started to switch, where the number of Black men entering the field basically plateaued while the number of Black women continued to rise. And my hypothesis on the cause of that, one of the major causes being mass incarceration, because that's also the time period that that started to happen. And so then this is not something that just starts when you go into medical school. This is a journey that begins in elementary school and middle school. Um, And so if they're even even before elementary school with uh, preschool and uh, daycare, universal daycare, universal preschool, uh, the lack of potentially. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, now there are definitely fewer black men going into medicine. That's, I think, a large part of bigger societal issues that started off really in the 1960s. Yeah. Did you, as you were doing the research for this book and and finding these women in in history, these black women from from history, did you gain any inspiration from them or hope from them that things have changed, are changing, will will hopefully be better sometime sometime soon? Mm. I definitely gain inspiration from them. So in terms of if things have changed. The reason that I started that project for my dissertation was based off of prejudice that I experienced and other Black students had experienced. So there's definitely still problems that persist to this day. Um, And so when I was looking at the barriers for my dissertation, I was disheartened at first to see how far I went back how ubiquitous the problem was, but I was really inspired by how these Black women persisted and were able to succeed despite that. And definitely a lot of them, the earlier ones had challenges even greater than the challenges that I faced. So for instance, one of the Black women physicians, Dr. Edith Irby Jones, she was the first Black person to attend medical school in the South. It was in the 1950s, so about 100 years after Dr. Rebecca Crumpler graduated from medical school. She graduated from New England Female Medical College, which is in Boston, was in Boston, it's shut down now. Um, and so Dr. Irby Jones was in medical school during the Jim Crow like segregation. So she was the only Black student in her class, and because of segregation, She wasn't allowed to eat in the cafeteria with her classmates because they were all white. She wasn't allowed to use the women's bathroom because the white women in her class used the bathroom. So definitely thinking about the level of isolation that she experienced while going through this extremely difficult journey is just really powerful to me to see that she was able to do it. So as I'm going through my own journey and find my own challenges, it's like, well, they were able to succeed through it. So let me keep pushing in and make it through. What is your, and before I ask that question, uh, for for everyone watching, if you have questions, we'll we'll do a little Q&A here as well. This session is going to be a little bit shorter compared to the other ones. Uh, So ask your questions. what um, what are you hoping this book does 
for mm. for society, for the medical world? What what are you hoping this book does? I have two major goals for it. So the first one is to provide that inspiration and this lineage of role models for other students of color that are thinking about medicine but don't have close connections to the medical field with family members or friends that they can talk to. So seeing people that they can identify who is who are able to persist despite their challenges, I hope that that would inspire them to pursue their dream despite so an example of a bear that I faced, like was told even at a young age that since I'm black, like I'm not smart enough to succeed in college or be like be successful in a career like medicine. And who's who's telling you this? Where where are these voices coming from? Let's say classmates. So even yeah. as early as elementary school, other classmates telling me that that I wouldn't be able to do this. And I'm a young child and so many hearing that so often and then also not having not being able to see that representation around me like i said i never met a black woman physician and so i've had doctors before um so i'm hearing these voices telling me that because of something innate in who i am that i cannot succeed and then i'm not seeing the role models to combat that yeah I had a supportive family who inspired me to keep pushing, even though none of them were in medicine. Mm -hmm. But there uh, could be plenty of people who are like turned away from that level of discouragement. So having those role models that they can just access through this book to hopefully inspire them. Then on the other side, because there are still problems that persist within medicine, there are a lot of people who care about this, regardless of their background, who want to make a change, but may not know what to do or even what is a source of these problems. So by providing this historical precedent of these were some of the systematic changes that went into place that have prevented the um, continued diversification of medicine, that they will have more tools on how to change it. So for instance, I mentioned the statistic about the demographics within medicine from around 1910 to present day. That aligned with the Flexner Report that changed, led to the closing of many Black medical schools. And still today, the vast majority of Black physicians are trained at Black medical schools, but there's only three that are around. So, okay, how is this, how did this happen? There's not that many that are around and there's still not enough of the predominantly white medical schools that are admitting black students. Like that's a systemic change that has had very long lasting effects. And even in Flexner's report, he said we, that he felt like black physicians only needed to treat black patients and the fewer black doctors, the better. So, yeah. So it's, it's interesting. I uh, just yesterday interviewed uh, Brian Elliott, who wrote a book, um, uh, researching a lot of our histories and traditions in uh, in medicine, and his mm-hmm. his book is called White Coat Ways. It's coming out mm-hmm. um, later this year as well. And one of the things that we talked about was the Flexner Report that came out in 1910. And it's very interesting. I didn't think at all about the the potential racist. Uh, 
bias behind it or potential reasons uh, mm-hmm. behind it. Um, other than th- this big report, and everyone can go Google Flexner report, it-, it was a big document, a big report that came out that's like, our medical education system is broken. We're, we're training a lot of doctors that are just going and buying a degree at, at like mm-hmm. the, the corner store. Um, and we need to close all that. We need to, to standardize medical education in this country. Um, this is the start of kind of the ACGME world, the whole accreditation mm-hmm. process. And now I'm talking to you and it's like a lot of these <laughs> black schools closed. And I'm like, <sighs> and and, and yeah. we talked yesterday about like very much like was there some uh, the, I think the language I used was like mobbish behavior behind this mm-hmm. of like, hey, we have the opportunity to make a lot of money here by accrediting schools and making sure that everyone who does everything does it our way and pays us to do it our way. And and Brian yesterday talking about it, he's like of of course definitely because th- those were the times of of mm-hmm. like just no no rules and you're you're going and chasing money. Um, it didn't once cross my mind yesterday the the potential uh, uh, racism of of the report or the ramifications mm-hmm. uh, of it that closed lots of black medical schools as well. So yeah, oh, history. Yeah, because it's like the individuals within medicine, we're not in a bubble. We're in the larger society. So at that time, it's 1910. Slavery was like 50 years before. So this view that Black people can be property, how does that align with the view that Black people can be physicians? Like. Mm. Um, and then who are the people that are put in power to make these decisions on how medicine changes? Yeah. So we we have a, a, a book and a movie about Dr. Ben Carson, Gifted Hands. Mm-hmm. We, ha- we have uh, books and movies about hidden figures, the, mm-hmm. the amazing women scientists at NASA. Um, who, who do you think out of all of the women that you researched is going to have a, a movie uh, created about her? There were a lot of really incredible women in the book. I think based off of just what could grab an audience attention, my guess would probably be Rebecca Crumpler, if anyone. Mm-hmm. But the sad thing about it, who was the first Black woman physician, but the sad thing about her is that, about that situation is she wasn't valued in the same way as the first Black male physician or the first white female physician. Um, There had already been a first Black physician and first woman physician. So there wasn't as much attention paid to that intersectionality. And there's not as much documentation that was preserved on her legacy, Mm. on what she did in her lifetime. A lot of what I was able to take, find out about her was from a book that she actually wrote herself. Um, Yeah, there's not even a photo of her that's been verified by historians. There is a photo that will come up if you Google her name, but that photo is actually of the first black woman nurse. And just because I think people feel this need to have an image attached and not realizing the fact that 
they didn't think she was important enough to have an image of her when she was alive, even though there is an image of the first white woman physician, is an image of the first black male physician who were alive before her, were living yeah. before her. Um, so it's not just about technology. Yeah, there's not enough, there's not as much about her. So maybe there would be a movie about her, but I'm not sure. A pro- a probably a lot of it would be fictional because yeah. there's not enough information on her actual life. All right. Well, I, I think uh, I, <laughs> Rachel's going to hate me for this. I, I think we need to option the rights to to her story somehow and and write a movie. Uh, and let's 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 go down that path. I think it'll be fun. Um, so, uh, I I think really at the end of the day, the the question that I have for you is. Um, what are you hoping to take forward, right? You're, you're a medical mm-hmm. student. You, you still have uh, medical school to finish, getting into residency. You wrote this book that's being published, which is amazing. Congrats on, on that process. I've written four books. It's a pain in the butt. <laughs> and I keep doing it to myself. It's a miserable process. Um, what are you hoping to take forward to continue to push for more equity here? Um, to to for for more diversity in this process to get these numbers up to represent our population the 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 black percentage in our population is about fourteen percent and mm-hmm. if we're somewhere between two and a half and five percent like we're way off of that um, mm-hmm. what what is what's your goals moving forward I'm definitely passionate about diversity and equity within medicine within STEM within the country, honestly. Um, and so I see this book as a platform for me to further that personal mission. And I definitely plan to do that throughout my career. I'm not sure exactly how that will take form, mm-hmm. but it will be a part of my career. Yeah. And the title twice as hard. Uh, I, I can make some guesses twice, meaning like woman, twice meaning black. Uh, it, it seems like my my guess would be that it's a lot more than twice as hard for for black women, especially those that you researched coming up to to be as successful as they were. Where, where did the the title come from? Yeah, you you had some good guesses in a way to play on words. So I would say the phrase "twice as hard for half as much" is oftentimes said within the black community like you have to work twice as hard to get a certain position and that's even known in research like there when applicants there was a study that and i think there was probably multiple studies on this applicants submitting for a job position and they changed same exact application changed the name to make it sound white or black and the application with the white sounding name yep almost always got the job over the black sounding name, even though they had the same exact credentials. So just how bias impacts people's decision-making for progression within a career. Um, And then similarly, like what you said, that this intersectionality of race and gender. So it's not just being a black woman is not just the additive of those two challenges it's something more complex so kind of touching on that intersectionality as well yeah well i'm excited you wrote the book i'm excited to read it uh we'll open up to some questions here from the audience 
Karima asks, so inspiring. How did you go about crafting your disadvantage statement or speaking mm. on being an underrepresented in your application? Mm. Okay, so a big assumption there, <laughs> making an assumption that you marked yourself as disadvantaged. Um, mm. But but if you did, um, how did you talk about that? And then um, being an underrepresented in medicine applicant, how much did that play into your application? So it's been a little while. Are those two the same statement or are they different? So I, I think uh, I think the disadvantaged essay is is obviously a distinct part of the AMCAS application. Uh, mm. And then I think that the other question is just in general, how did you weave in being underrepresented? Mm. <laughs> or we can skip this I kind this of question. forget because this yeah. was in... Like it's a while I ago. Pied, yeah, probably like four or more years ago. All right. Um we'll we'll skip this question. <laughs> Morgan, what was it like to study at Oxford and did the timing of the ap- academic calendar uh year there pose an issue with starting med school in the States? Oxford was a lot of fun. Um yeah, well, it's a great way to think in a different way. So I majored in neuroscience in undergrad. And then this is a, even though it's about medicine, it was a history program. And I really enjoyed being able to use my right brain where there's not always a clear answer, but just a lot of space for me to reflect and create my own answer. And also my community had friends from all over the world. And I, that really expanded just my perspective on life. I I really loved it. In terms of applying for med school, thankfully, my academic schedule at Oxford was very flexible. A good portion of my degree was dedicated to writing my dissertation, which was about 100 pages. So it was a lot of work. Um, So I was able to do all of my med school interviews before go- the the fall term at Oxford starts about a month or so later than the like fall semester here in the U.S. And I was able to go back after I had um, I came here, did all my med school application, med school interviews, and then went back to Oxford afterwards. I was there like a few weeks after the term had started, but I was just working on my dissertation here. Nice. Very cool. Uh, I think we have time for one more question. McKenna, how can your fellow med students be better allies? How can pre-med mm-hmm. students do be better allies to others in the pre-med process? Mm-hmm. So allyship, any, any thoughts there? Yeah, I think that when someone is the target of some form of discrimination. It's oftentimes put on them to call it out, to speak to the pain that it causes them and try to work towards a like resolution. But a lot of times there's other people around and they may feel uncomfortable and just be silent because they don't know what to say. But it goes a long way for those allies to also speak up to, okay, this was uncomfortable. Like, can for the person who may have been initiating let's say the microaggression mm-hmm. to that ally to address that person be like well what did you mean by this or 
why did you say this? As opposed to the person, the target of that being the person who has to speak up. And I think that goes a lot long way for, for me when that's happened, for me to feel less alone and that that person is willing to speak up for me in a situation that's uncomfortable as opposed to just in private, they'll, they'll talk to me about it. And it also makes me feel like I can talk to them about those difficult situations as opposed to if they're silent, sometimes will make me wonder, do they agree? Are they a part of it? Yeah. Yeah. Silence speaks loudly, yeah. uh, unfortunately. Are, are you familiar with Dr. Chanel Wilson? I don't know her. Oh, all right. We've got to connect you. What What is your future medical residency or, or medical specialty look like? Do you, do you have a thought yet? So I'm currently on my surgery rotation and okay. it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Thinking ophthalmology, but okay. I also really like my psychiatry rotation. So Okay. Well, it's up in the air. If, if you're potentially <laughs> interested in urology, Dr. Chanel Brown, uh, Chanel Wilson, rather, uh, I had her on the pre-med years, an episode that's coming out in a few weeks. She, uh, similar to you, underrepresented as a black woman physician. Mm-hmm. She's a urologist, and mm-hmm. she started a program called Urology Unbound, working to mm-hmm. increase the representation of underrepresented minorities in the field of urology. So she mm-hmm. uh, may be a great contact for you, and I'd be happy to, to put you in contact with her. Jasmine yeah. Brown, thank you so much for joining us here at MAPTCON. Congratulations on your book, Twice as Hard, The Stories of Black Women Who Fought to Become Physicians from the Civil War to the 21st Century. Still fighting to this day. Mm-hmm. Hopefully um, the fight gets easier and easier and we get a lot more equity, a lot more diversity in this field as we continue on. Agreed. Thank, thank you. you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. This is MedEd Media.